Want to know why your interiors or images don't look like the ones you see on your favorite social media feeds? What if I said I could let you know and show you what's missing and how to transform your spaces with clarity and confidence? The truth is creating beautiful interiors is simple when you know the right strategies, but most people go about it the wrong way. This is why I created the Styling Masterclass. It's the only program that simplifies the art and science of styling, giving you the clarity and confidence to take your interiors to the next level and attract your dream customers or clients so you can make your creative dreams finally possible. This is for you if you're an interior designer or photographer, have an Airbnb, a homeware shop or e-commerce business, and you want your interiors to look like the ones you see in your favorite books, magazines or Instagram accounts. Come learn how to style using my signature method so you can elevate any interior and create compelling imagery, which is your most effective marketing tool if you're selling a product or service in the world of interiors. Any successful business owner knows that styling is your secret weapon to cut through the visual noise, stand out from the crowd and grow your business. Styling is something that you don't want to leave to chance. In today's world, images are everything. This is why leading interior designers and architects always use stylists to finesse their spaces for photography to make sure they've got incredible imagery that they can use for their socials and website. Come learn how to make styling not only an essential element, an easy way to create content for your socials and website, but learn how it can propel the growth of your creative business. If you're serious about creating beautiful interiors and a business you love without struggling in obscurity, this is the program for you. I'm going to share my process and give insights that you're not going to get anywhere else because I've been working as a professional interior stylist for the past 15 years. The Styling Masterclass will give you that clarity and confidence you need to take action and connect with your dream customer or client so you can make your creative dreams possible. Go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level to learn more and enroll now. Enrollments are open for only a short time. So please, if you're interested and you're ready to take your interiors to the next level, go to nataliewalton.com forward slash next level. For me, um, like if I'm thinking of a big decision, whether it's like, do I want to move to another country or do I want to write another book? I think about that thing and then I feel in my body, am I energized? Is is there like a charge? Is there a sense of hope and optimism? Is there a sense of dread or fear? Um, and that's the part that can be tricky because sometimes when you feel dread or fear, it's not because it's the wrong thing, it's just because it's a new thing. So I've learned to kind of discern in my body, like what's the brand of fear. Like there's, I have two different brands and one is like, I'm fearful and this isn't right. And then the other one is I'm fearful or terrified even, but oh, it's really juicy and exciting and energizing. And so for me, when I get that kind of, I don't know, like tingly excitement, it means like time to lean in. Welcome to Imprint, a podcast about creating a home and life you love. 
I'm Natalie Walton, an interior designer, stylist, and best-selling author focused on an holistic approach to homes. Each week, I'm sharing insights and interviews about the creative process to help you enhance both your interiors and well-being, as well as provide you with the tools and resources to make considered and sustainable choices with all that you create. Hello everyone, welcome to Imprint. I am very excited to share today's guest with you. She is a return guest to the podcast and actually our last interview was one of the most popular interviews on the podcast. So I think you're going to enjoy this one just as much as you did the last interview. It is Shira Gill and Shira is just one of those people that I find so inspiring to talk to. I love chatting with her. We have had, had an ongoing conversation since we last spoke two and a half years ago and um, I'm really excited to have her talk to you today about not only her new book but and business and all the things but really about how you can organize your home in a way that feels good for you. Her first book was called Minimalista and it was really her five-step process to clarify, edit, organize, elevate and maintain your home and this time she has created a book called Organized Living which is at the time of this podcast going live it should be now available all around the world. It's called Organized Living Solutions and Inspiration for Your Home And basically, she traveled around the world, captured 25 homes of home organizers and is sharing their tips and key takeaways from each of those spaces. And so we talk about that, what she learned from that process, how she organizes her own home. And we also talk about growing a creative business and how she has grown her own business and done it in a way that feels really in um, integrity and feels really authentic for her. So I hope that you're going to enjoy this conversation with Shira as much as I did. And uh, if you do enjoy it, of course, as always, please share with someone who you think will get a lot of value out of it too. All right, please enjoy my conversation with Shira Gill. Hi, Shira. I am so excited to have you back on the podcast. Um, You are one of our few repeat return guests, and I had to have you back. I've been dying to have you (laughs) since I learned that you were working on another book. And I mean, you like your last interview has actually been one of our all time downloaded interviews. So people love Um, what you shared. And I do think that that particular episode was really, you know, informative and had lots of tips and insights. So anyone who hasn't listened to that, we will put a link in the show notes and we really encourage you to go and listen to that. So as I mentioned, um, you now have a new book out in the world and we're going to be talking about that as well as some other things that I think our listeners are going to find really valuable. So I... I resonate so much with what you share about homes and home organization because you're not just about, um, you know, going out and buying more stuff to organize your home. You really take this very much. You say in your book, which I just I loved, you said home organization is human centered work. And I you said this and I just want to read this out. You said I saw firsthand how the process of transforming one space had the power to propel people towards their bigger goals. 
I realized that in addition to improving their living spaces, I was helping them get in touch with their true passions, purpose, and potential, setting them up to be their best version of themselves. So I love how you take this very kind of holistic approach to creating homes and simplifying them. And um, so we're going to get into all of that. But first of all, I just wanted to acknowledge that because I think it's, you know, it's very much needed. I think that people can so easily feel overwhelmed when it comes to this idea of home organization. So let's just talk about, first of all, maybe you could just get a very brief rundown of your book, Minimalista, and what that was about, and then how this book came to be and how those two books are different. Sure. Yeah. Well, thank you for having me. I, as you know, I could talk to you all day, so I'm thrilled to be back. And um, for those who aren't familiar with my work, I call myself a values-based organizing expert. Um, I kind of fuse life coaching and minimalism and home organizing and even a bit of styling um, into my work. And my goal is to help people clear physical and mental clutter. So um, as you mentioned, I'm the author of two books. Minimalista breaks down my simple toolkit and process for um, helping you edit and organize and style your home based on your values. And then my brand new book, Organized Living, showcases a wide range of homes from across the globe, um, featuring tips and distinct organizing strategies from 25 home organizers, ranging from tiny studio apartments and even an Airstream trailer to um, larger suburban homes, everything in between. And for this book, I traveled the world with a photographer. So we met and interviewed firsthand and prowled around all of these people's homes who were so generous to open their doors. Um, so that is really an inspiration guide for um, my, my goal in writing it was really to show that organizing is for everyone. And it doesn't have to be, you know, a sad beige aesthetic. It doesn't have to be the rainbow plastic game. It really can look any way you want it to look. Um, but I think of organizing as not really a means to an end, but a way to create more freedom and joy and ease in your life. So, um, so that was the goal with this book is to kind of empower people to find, choose their own adventure of organizing as it was. Yeah. And I'm curious as well, obviously, like you say, you know, in Minimalista, that was very much your own process, the, what you had gone through when working with clients and you kind of distilled it into this five-step process that you shared in that book. Did this experience of going around the world, stepping into all of these other homes, did that kind of confirm what your experience was of like how to organize spaces? Or did you get some instances where you're like, wow, I hadn't thought of approaching it in that way? Or you kind of picked up some tips that you found really helpful. Yeah, I feel like I was inspired in a really different way in every home in a different way. I mean, it was so interesting because you know, I am the person that has kind of a, that uh, aesthetic that people make fun of that like is even called sad beige, you know, like I love all the neutrals and my walls are all painted white and I'm quite a minimalist. So it was really fun for me to step into a world of color and textile and art. And it was interesting, like one home in particular, um, this organizer, Tinka, who lives in Montreal, her home is literally the exact opposite of mine. It's like maximalism and there's arts and crafts and ceramics and art and color everywhere. And 
I found myself kind of going, oh, well, I want to take a tidbit of this home with me, you know, like, even if it's just getting a little pom pom to hang on the doorknob, like, I feel like each home kind of gave me a little gift, some little glimmer of inspiration that I wanted to take home. And then of course I would get home and be like, well, this makes, this home makes sense for me and my family. Um, but there were certainly like, you know, I think my gift is simplifying things. And I met organizers who really were able to organize much more complex things like tech and wires and digital organizing and things that make my brain hurt. And so I, I feel like I really was able to ask questions and kind of play student and say like, well, how does this work? And how would you organize these cords? And so each chapter, basically I um, shared my big tips and takeaways that I gleaned from each organizer um, along the way. So it was, it was quite an enjoyable ride to kind of go in like a kid in a candy store and snoop around and ask questions. And, you know, people were so generous with saying like, yeah, you can look under my kitchen sink and in my cupboards and, you know, and there were some people who said like, please don't look in the basement or the attic and I would beg them to, and then I'd learn something in there. So <laughs> it was quite fun. So what would you say then were some of those um, big tips or takeaways? Can you share a few for the listeners? Today? Yeah. Well, so it's interesting because I live in California and so we really don't have real seasons. And you know, in traveling, I would say probably most of the organizers whose homes I toured lived in places with very distinct seasons. And so one of the organizers had this like beautiful ritual where every season she would swap out her throws and her pillows and her art and even ceramics. And um, it was a way of kind of marking the seasons that I thought was so lovely. So when we visited, it was fall and it was in Montreal and it was freezing and, you know, she had like engaged all of her senses in her home. So there was like warm cider on the oven and there were pumpkins and, you know, she had little felt figurines that she took out for her kids. And there was something to me that, you know, was just so like whimsical and romantic about that. So that was something where I thought, well, maybe even though I live in California, I can take a little glimmer of that, whether it's like changing a few things or, you know, lighting candles in the winter just to give a sense of a seasonal shift. Um, there were also like really interesting things that I just never would have thought of. Like there was a woman in, um, in the South who, you know, had plenty of rooms in a very large house and she turned a room into a movie theater by building a little stage and making her own cinema and bringing in a popcorn maker. And, you know, it was just fascinating to see how people customize their homes for who they were and what they cared about. And, you know, it never would have occurred to me. Like she went and just bought a bunch of like lazy boy chairs on sale and built a little platform and put in some popcorn and it was like instant movie theater and it wasn't even a costly endeavor. Um, but there were lots of things like that. There was another woman who was really spiritual, who had a prayer room and, you know, kind of repurposed a walk-in closet to be this sanctuary where she could pray and reflect and be spiritual. So I think one of the most interesting things to see was just how our homes, and I know your work, you know, is linked to this so much, are such a reflection of who we are and what we care about, and what we value. And so meeting with all of these different people who had different religions and backgrounds and 
values and priorities, you could see that. And, and it was like so obvious in their homes who they were and what they cared about. And that was kind of an interesting takeaway. So what would you say is kind of one of the big keys to organized living, to actually being organized in your home? I sort of think minimalist are perhaps, mm-hmm. you know, it's a little bit more about the practical for like, okay, the decluttering process of, you know, how to get rid of these things and that steps you through yeah. that process. And you do touch on maintenance in there, but how, what do you think is the key to actually staying organized in your home? If you are the person who's actually gone through that process, but you find that clutter just keeps creeping back in. Yeah. So what I found, what was really interesting and actually is going to be informing my third book that I write is that every single one of these 25 organizers had three things in common. So they had systems in place to manage volume. Um, So all of them, whether that was just having a donation bin or tote in their front hallway or a process where, you know, they decluttered seasonally with their kids they all had systems in place to manage volume. They all had um, systematized the things that they did own by storing them like with like and category by category. So I noticed in every single home, you could walk in just the way that you would walk into a supermarket or a drugstore and without asking the homeowner, you know, where are your mugs or where are your kids' toys? you could see because they were batched in big, broad categories and stored together. Um, And the third thing was um, maintaining habits. So what I did notice about every single organizer, and even as we were kind of moving things around for photo shoots, is they put things away right away. So even when we would move something for a photo shoot, it was like they almost couldn't help themselves but to put it back immediately when we were done. So there was kind of this mindful process of if I take something out and I use it, as soon as I'm done, I just put it back in its designated home. So I would say those are the three things. So volume systems and habits that work kind of beautifully together. And I think all work together to create um, and maintain an organized home. And I think even if you, you know, I'm a minimalist, so I focus very much on volume control but I also have kids and a husband and a dog and we get presents. And so that's where systems come into place and the habit of the seasonal clean out or, you know, before the birthday we're going to go through, or, you know, I have a process kind of a ritual every new year's Eve, which may not sound fun to people, but for me, it's a joy. I go through my closet, I go through my file cabinet and I kind of like start fresh for the new year. So I just have this editing ritual that feels really good to me. And like, I then wake up on January 1st feeling like I have set the foundation for a new year. So I think the big thing I noticed was that organizers have just kind of integrated all of these practices where they no longer feel like work. Um, So it feels kind of more habitual and almost ritualized that, you know, they come home and they plop the bag you know, on the hook and the shoes go in the basket and the mail goes in the mail tray. And it's almost like a dance walking through their home where it doesn't feel like this huge chore to every weekend sort through the piles because they're always putting things away in their place. Do you think that that habit of putting things away when, you know, straight away 
Is that something that people can learn? Or do you think that that is innate to certain people? I mean, obviously, it's innate to certain people, but of course, you know, can it be learned? And how can you learn it? What would you say to people? Yeah. Well, so the number one thing is you have to have motivation to want to learn it. So 100%, you know, I've worked with five-year-olds and I've worked with 85-year-olds and anyone who wants to learn how to be organized can learn how to be organized. I work with people who have serious attention disorders and still they can be organized. So I think the big thing that I've seen is you have to have a compelling reason for wanting to be organized and you have to have a driving force that makes sense so that it doesn't feel like a chore or a slog. So that's why, you know, in Minimalista, the first step of my process is to clarify why do you want to get organized? Why do you want to make a change? Why do you want to create a new habit? If you're just moving piles around, it's not going to be sustainable. There has to be kind of a joyfulness to it that's anchored in something real. So, you know, when I have people come to me and say, for example, like, I want to buy your services for my wife because I want her to get organized, I will always say, well, does your wife actually want to get organized? Because there's no chance she's going to be my client unless she wants to, right? But anyone who comes to me and says, I've never been organized a day in my life. I'm a hot mess. There's piles everywhere. I can't keep up with anything. But like, I'm an eager student. I'm ready to learn. Those people can change their homes overnight. So it's really like, I can't stress enough. It's really just having that motivation and having the desire because I think organization is actually quite, quite simple. I think there's a lot of emotional drama that gets in the way of feeling like, you know, this, this organizing myth that I think is a hoax that you're either born with the organizing gene or not. Organization is just putting similar things together and anybody can do that, right? Like my kids do that with their Halloween candy. They put all of the gummy bears together and all of the Reese's peanut butter cups together. And that is organization. The, the hard part for people is the maintenance. And as you mentioned, the habit, the put it away right away is something that doesn't come naturally to most people. And so I think what is the most helpful is to think, why do I want to put things away right away? Is it because I want to go to the beach every weekend and I don't want to be tidying my home? Is it because I want to find my keys when I run out the door and I don't want to be stressed out? Is it because I want to stop fighting with my partner about my lack of organization? But there's got to be that compelling reason that kind of fuels your, your work uh, implementing the habit. So how does that look like or show up in your life? Can you kind of run us through, you know, a day in the life of Shira in terms of <laughs> how you stay organized and, you know, on top of all the things that come into your home and life? Yeah. I mean, I think, um, well, one of the most impactful things I do is just a nightly practice of before I go to bed, I, and this is, I guess, more life organization, but I look at my calendar just for the day ahead. I'm kind of a one day at a time person because I have so much going on. So I look at just what is the next day? What clients am I seeing? Am I on a podcast? Do I have a chapter due? Do we need to buy chicken for dinner? Like all of the things. And I take a little index card, just a white index card, and I just make a little cheat sheet of my day. And I take that moment to think, 
is there anything I need to confirm or do or square away before tomorrow? And it usually takes me between five and 10 minutes max to do this. And when I don't do it, I notice a huge difference in my day. Um, so, and I take that little note card, I'll put it in my handbag. If I'm you know, running around all day, I'll glance at it. What's my next thing? What am I doing? But I think so much of organization is just being mindful and intentional, whether it's with your time or with your belongings. Um, so I'll kind of quickly run you through, um, you know, as you ask, like a day in the life. So I guess starting with the evening before, it's like this quick planning. What am I doing? What do I need to prepare for? Then I wake up. Um, I'm a person who needs to exercise in the morning or I will never exercise at all. So um, we have a dog, which is a great way to exercise because you can't really not walk the dog. So I will wake up and the first thing that I do is I take a solo walk with my dog. I do a 45 minute loop in my neighborhood. And I started that during COVID because I could no longer go to yoga classes or spin classes or gym. And it's just kind of stayed with me is now this like time to think and reflect um, by myself. So, you know, by the time I get back, it's eight in the morning and I've already knocked off exercise. Um, I'm in a phase of life where my kids are teenagers, so they're quite self-sufficient. So they make their own breakfast and get ready and kind of get out the door. Then typically between um, nine and three and four are kind of my big focus hours for work. So whether that's seeing a client or taking meetings. Um, I'm basically working from like nine to noon, then I take a lunch break. Then the afternoon I do things that require less focus. So that would be the checking emails, the social media. Like I try to batch that stuff for later in the day as I know my energy is gonna start diminishing the later it gets in the day. Um, and then a few hours before dinner is when I'm kind of taking care of the personal stuff. So. Uh, you know, I need to drop off donations or return a library book or get groceries or figure out dinner. Um, that I'll do like towards the end of the day. And then I eat dinner with my family um, pretty much every night. And then if I'm doing something social with either my husband or a girlfriend or a colleague, um, I'll go do that from like seven to nine or 10. And I'm always in bed at 10. So <laughs> I'm a real, you know, I'm like a person who, if I don't get enough sleep, I can't function. And so it's interesting because I get asked a lot, like, how do you do all of the things? And I would say it's two things. It's I get sleep. Um, so I always every night consistently get eight or nine hours of sleep. It's like a non-negotiable thing for me. So I have good energy um, and focus because of that. And I say no to almost everything. So that's kind of the big thing that makes people raise their eyebrows. Um, I don't go to a lot of parties. I say no to most collaborations or brand um, opportunities. I typically pick one big goal a year that I go all into and I say no to almost everything else. So I kind of practice this constraint in my life that has been, I think the key to living a happy life and not being stressed out all the time, but also has been the key to my productivity. Um, and then in terms of the physical stuff, I would say it's funny because my home really is so simple to um, keep up with, I think mainly because of the lack of volume. So we have a home that's on the smaller size. Um, we have a small 
living room, dining room, kitchen, and we have three very small bedrooms and one shared bath. And I think because of these simple systems of noticing what are the things that typically get dumped in a home and those things I've created systems for. So I would say in pretty much every home, the things that get dumped are coats, bags, shoes, and mail and paperwork and kid stuff. So essentially for each one of those things, I created the most simple system imaginable. So for um, everything from mail, paperwork, bills, invitations, I have one big basket that sits in our entry and everyone in the family knows if it is paper, it goes in the basket. So we that's easy, right? Because now everyone just dumps it in one place and we never have paper clutter floating around our home. Um, likewise, we have this very, very simple entry system that's right by the front door where there's just a series of hooks at arm's reach. And so you drop your bag, you drop your coat, you drop the dog leash, you know, the hat, anything just goes on a hook immediately when we walk in. So there's not this sense of like, I'm constantly organizing or I'm constantly fussing about the house. It's really mainly that there's this landing station that's very effective for us. And, um, and I guess I should also mention this ritual that I don't even think about, but I think it is very impactful, which is since we have dinner as a family every night, um, my husband loves to cook and I do not. So I set the table, I get the water for everybody, he cooks the dinner, and then my two teenagers um, will do the dishes and put them away while I wipe down all of the surfaces and kind of reset things. So we eat quite early. So I would say like by 7 p.m., we've eaten dinner, the dishes are done, the lunches are packed for the next day, and our kitchen is clean. And even though we have a dishwasher, we don't use it um, because we don't have a million plates or bowls. So we basically have to wash them so that then they're ready for breakfast in the morning. So I would say the big kind of takeaways I would um, want people to get are pay attention to where you notice piles or clutter amassing and set up the most simple vessel or system that you can make it like foolproof and easy and intuitive, um, whether that's a hook or a basket or a tray, um, and then integrate into your day opportunities to do the dishes or to wipe down the counters or delegate it as I did to my teenagers, because I realized at a certain point, why are they sitting and watching me do the dishes? They're a part of this family. <laughs> so having them take that piece of the pie has been um, kind of game changing in our family and has been kind of bonding for them because now they're forced to be together and do the dishes and cooperate and divide who's drying them and who's washing them. And they talk about their day and it's actually been kind of sweet to watch them. Yeah. So many like important life skills in there, aren't there? It's definitely, <laughs> and I think also like what you say about the hooks and the systems, it needs to be kind of childproof. And I think that if a child can do it, then anybody mm -hmm. can do it. There's no excuse then, is there? So exactly. It's, yeah. It's, yeah really, really important. So I yeah, I always say the five-year-old test. Like <laughs> if your five-year-old can do it, you're good. <laughs> so you mentioned in the book as well, you said, it never occurred to me that my niche hobby could become a career. I had no business plan, no training whatsoever, truly nothing but a strong desire to help make other people's lives a little easier 
by sharing the practices that have become second nature to me. So I threw together a website, sent an email announcing my services to everyone I knew, and set out on a mission to help others reduce physical and mental clutter and create homes that felt good. So you sort of went through and you share in you know this book about your own personal story, and we touched on that in the last episode. So again, I will link to it in the show notes, but you know, you've created a, a living out of doing this. And I'm really curious because I think there's lots of people who listen to this podcast who, you know, they have this kind of like whisper within that I often talk about, you know, it's like this desire that like, I love doing this, but I don't know, you know, they don't have the confidence to take, go to that next step. They don't, you know, know necessarily what to do. And it starts to come up all these reasons why they can't do it or why it's going to be hard. And I just wow. thought it would be helpful if you could maybe share your experience, because I love how you sort of say like, you know, I, I had this hobby and I just kind of threw a website together and I just started to take action and it wasn't perfect, but you began and you started, you know, taking action and, and moving forward. So can you just share a little bit about, you know, how you first started getting clients and how you found that courage to actually turn that hobby into what has become, you know, a, you know, a thriving career? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'll say, I mean, I was sort of thrust into accidental entrepreneurship because I was laid off when I was eight months pregnant with my first daughter. And in a funny way, I don't know that I ever would have become an entrepreneur had I not been kind of forced to figure out how to be scrappy and make income while having a new baby at home. So in a funny way, and I've mentored um, now over a hundred creative entrepreneurs, and what I see, and this is not to say you know you you have to be laid off while you're eight months pregnant, but I think that there was something where maybe you can call it desperation. I knew that I had to make a living, and I couldn't figure out what to do next because. I actually hadn't enjoyed being an event planner. It wasn't a great match for me. And so I didn't want to go back to that. And I had a baby and my husband worked nine to five. And so we had to figure out childcare. So it was sort of this thing where it was really born out of necessity. And I had this fire in my belly because I was a new mom who had to figure out how to make money. So I think that the key was that I didn't overthink it because it was born out of this kind of need to just figure out how am I going to make money right now and how am I going to maximize time with my daughter? And so what we figured out is that at least where we live in California, the cost of childcare is so wildly expensive that even if I had a full-time job as an event planner, it would we would just break even paying for childcare. And so what we figured out is if I took clients on Saturday and Sunday, and then was able to be with our daughter through the week and have zero childcare, it would be a win-win for our family. Um, so I think in terms of advice for others, the biggest thing that I see is waiting for the perfect time or waiting to feel ready. Um, I was in no way ready to be an entrepreneur. I didn't have a clue what I was doing. I didn't have a business degree. I didn't have a business plan. It really was like just born out of desire and necessity and this idea of, I think I can help people. It would feel good to help people with this thing that I seem to be good at that other people struggle with. Let me give it a go. And 
if I'm going to give it a go, let me go all in on it. So I think the commitment level was high. I didn't dip a toe in or waver or say, well, maybe I'll try for a week and see. I really was like, this is do or die. <laughs> I've got to figure this out. I've got to get clients. And so I, I threw spaghetti at the wall doing everything I could think of to get clients. So it, I know it sounds probably easier in the way that I described it in the book than the reality was that I was just trying things all the time. I was handing out postcards in my neighborhood. I was, you know, begging my friends to post reviews in mom's groups. I was, um, I had this mentality of this has to work. And I think that's why it did work. I don't think I was more talented than anyone else or more skilled as an organizer. I think success is so much about mindset. And my mindset was this has to work. And so I was 100% dedicated to making it work. And if something didn't work, I didn't make it mean anything about me. I made it mean that thing didn't work. What's the next thing I'm going to try? And so um, it's been really interesting on the other side, mentoring people, because what I've observed is that when somebody doesn't have a strong, compelling reason, much like organizing, like if somebody doesn't need to make money, for example, and they say, you know, I think I want to be a stylist or a designer or an organizer. What I see is unless they have a really compelling reason that's personal to them, they kind of dip a toe in, but there's not that fire in the belly propelling them forward. And it doesn't just have to be financially motivated. That was, you know, in my case, it was financially motivated. And it was also, I was desperate to find a career that I was passionate about after being in a career that felt passionless um, for a few years. And um, what I see is when somebody has a reason, whether it's like, you know, I want to prove to my children that I can make my own money, or I want to prove to myself that I can do this big, hard thing, or I want to figure out how to break this boundary. Um, those kinds of reasons are what drive people forward. And make them able to kind of dust themselves off when things get hard and don't work out and keep going. Um, the one other thing I want to mention, because I've seen it a lot, is some of the most brilliant, talented, skillful people sabotage their own success by giving up and pivoting again and again and again. And so I've noticed this trend in my work as a mentor where I'll see somebody and they're so talented and brilliant and we make this plan. And then the next week they say, you know what? I don't think I want to be a stylist. I think I want to be a photographer. And I say, okay, well, let's pivot and make a new plan. And then the next week they come back and say, actually, I think maybe I want to mentor photographers. And if it happens once, it's okay. But I think if, it, if you notice this is a pattern where you just keep flipping and flopping and pivoting, it, it can be a way of playing it safe, even that's unconscious. Um, I see this, I think almost more often than not, is this kind of like overthinking, maybe this isn't the quite right thing, maybe I should do this thing. And it's a way of playing it safe, even if it's not intentional, because if you never go all in, you're never gonna have success or failure, right? You're just gonna stay put. Um, so that's the big thing is that I would just say, if you have that little inkling or that little urge, 
follow it, but with a commitment of a certain time frame, even if that time frame is just three months, say, I'm going to go all in a hundred percent, a million percent for these three months. And if it doesn't work or I don't enjoy it, I give myself permission to quit or pivot or do whatever I want. Um, but what I see so often is just the giving up before you even try. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's so good. I mean, there's a lot of mindset in there. What about some like practical strategies in terms of what you've learned has really worked working with clients, growing your business, um, you know, being able to charge for your services or setting boundaries with clients, which is, you know, it, that's got a lot of overlap with boundaries in your home around your staff, you know, creating those boundaries and, you know, respecting them. Um, what are those yeah. sort of like practical elements of growing your business as a home organizer that you have found really helpful? And they're kind of like the big lessons that you sort of think, if I could sort of go back and talk to Shira, who is starting out, this is what I'd tell her. Yeah. Yeah. So I think a lot of it has been about um, really leaning into the, the things that I feel like I'm naturally inherently good at and love doing and being very clear about the things that I either don't want to do or I'm terrible at. And so I think, you know, at the beginning, I had a lot of shame because I'm not handy and like I would never dare put a hole in anyone's wall. I wouldn't install a hook. I wouldn't hang art. And I think in my head, it was like, well, what kind of home organizer are you if you can't hang a hook, you know? And then at a certain point, I just decided to completely own, like, you know what I'm good at? I'm good at coaching people. I'm good at helping people edit. I'm good at helping people simplify, helping people repurpose what they own. I'm terrible at all of these other things. And so what I did is I crafted a website and a package and a program around the exact things that I'm good at and really owned and even would say on a consult, like, if you want someone who's going to do X, Y, or Z, I'm not your girl. <laughs> I can refer you to one of my brilliant colleagues. But I think once I really leaned into, you know, the other thing was minimalism for me is that I also had some imposter syndrome around I'm not amazing at shopping and I don't really enjoy shopping, but a big part of the role of an organizer is figuring out the perfect vessels. And I think when I really leaned into what I'm really good at is helping you repurpose vessels that you already own so you don't have to go to the container store and buy a million plastic bins, I found my people and my people found me. And so I started attracting people who said, I really care about sustainability and I don't want to buy anything new. Can you help me? And it was like a dream, you know, it was like winning the lottery. But I think that was able to happen because I so um, clearly owned in my marketing, on my Instagram, on my website, like this is who this is for. This is what I do. This is how it works. And when I really went all in on that messaging, I just found every person who came my way was the right person. And I stopped getting people, um, you know, who were just not the right fit for me. And I was able to start referring people, um, you know, if that did ever come up, like, oh, you want someone to install a garage system? There's no chance I'm doing that. But here's this brilliant woman who can do it for you. So um, that's one of the things I think likewise around boundaries, um, you know, I've always been a working mom. So I founded my business 
with the birth of my first daughter, I now have two daughters, you know, and I have a husband and I have a dog and lots of responsibilities. And so I think initially my feeling was like, when you're an entrepreneur, you have to say yes to everything. And like all business is good business. And I would stretch and bend and break my own rules. And I found every time I did that, every time I said like, well, I don't normally work nights, but okay. Or I don't normally do a weekend, but all right, I'll come in on a Sunday. They just weren't the best clients for me. And it was like the give an inch, they'll take a mile. And they kept pushing and pushing. So I think I did that once or twice where it just felt so bad that I then started owning again. Like it's all about owning your stuff. Like I am a person who's really sharp in the morning and then I have diminishing energy. So I'm going to book all of my clients at 9 a.m. Because then I know I'm going to give them my best. And I'm not going to be an organizer who works 8, 10, 12 hours because it's going to be a disservice to my client, to my family, to myself. Um, and I think for people who feel like they know internally what their boundaries are, but it's so difficult to say them out loud. One of the tricks that has worked for me is just having it either in writing on my website or in my client agreement, um, but having all of those things kind of laid out in advance so that before you start working with someone, they're incredibly clear on things like, how do I communicate with you? When do I communicate with you? When is it okay to call? Can I call you? Do you work nights or weekends? All of those things, I think, what's so interesting is that I've mentored people who are like, oh, I love working nights. You know, that's great for me, but I don't want to work at nine in, in the morning. You know, that's horrific. <laughs> so I think it's like taking that time to kind of map out if anything were possible, what would be my dream scenario for my business? What is my dream package? How long am I working? What days am I working? Who am I working with? What am I doing? What am I not doing? And what I found is when I clarified and kind of got all of those answers for myself and made it very obvious in all of my marketing materials, here's exactly who I am. Who's, this is exactly what I offer and what I don't. Um, like I said, it just, the right people now find me and it's such a kind of joyful process because I feel like everyone I get on the phone with now is like, I know you're the perfect person for me because of this, that, and the other. And I think there's this kind of scarcity thinking of like, well, if I lean into this and say, I don't do that, I'm going to lose people. But what I found is that my business actually really took off and I kind of supersized my business and my clients and my sales for everything when I was able to kind of fearlessly say, here's who I am. Here's what I do. Yeah, that's so powerful. It's so hard sometimes because it's you have to step yeah. into that, like believe yeah. that it will work and that, you know, who you are is OK and and all of those kind of things. Um now, yes. your business has very much evolved since, I guess, those early days of, you know, just working one-on-one -on -one with clients. Um, we touched on last time, you've got courses, which are still available via your website. Um, more recently, you, and of course, you've done your books. Um, more recently, yeah. you did a retreat that um, yes. you shared about, <laughs> which was, um, I was so jealous and tempted to come and join you across the other side of the world. Oh. And maybe one day I, I will get the chance to do that. Yes. And you've also... Um, introduce Substack onto your um, website. Yeah. 
So I'm just curious about if you could kind of walk through some of those other more recent developments and why you've done them and, you know, how they've helped you as a creative entrepreneur. Yeah. So um, I get bored quite easily. And I think one of the great things about being an entrepreneur is that you can always pivot. You can always change things. Like there was a period where I thought, well, maybe I want to be a stylist. And I tried it out and realized like it wasn't my zone of genius and I hate shopping and I hate returning things. And so I've kind of just played around with like all of the edges of, you know, under this umbrella of being someone who helps people with physical clutter and mental clutter. You know, there were times when I went into straight life coaching. There's times when I've leaned into business strategy. I think um, one of my rules for myself and I'm, I'm, I've kept my business very small intentionally. Like I am a party of one. I have zero employees. It is me, myself, and I. And so it gives me this great freedom and flexibility to kind of each year decide what do I want to lean into? So, you know, for the first, I think it was like six or seven years of my career, all I did was one-on-one home organizing. Then I started getting burnt out physically from all of the driving and hauling. And I thought, well, this is not sustainable. So that's when I launched the virtual programs. Um, And then once I launched the programs, I started getting interest for speaking. And so I started speaking. And then, you know, people reached out about mentorship and, you know, I'm interested in doing what you do. Can you mentor me? And that's something that sustained me. And I still, it's, it's one of the things I do the most of now, even though I don't call myself a business strategist. I do a lot of business strategy. And so um, I've kept with that. I've launched a retreat with another um, professional organizer, um, Rachel Rosenthal, who's on the East Coast. And so we're doing that now as an annual um, offering. And the Substack that you mentioned was, you know, they recruited me and they basically said, like, you've been blogging for 14 years and not making a dollar. It seems that you're a prolific writer. Why not think to monetize it? And I'll say that I was very resistant um, to to make that pivot. I'm still thinking of it as an experiment um, because I've kind of always loved the freedom of doing something for free because I can do whatever I want. And I think the second that you accept money from people, there's this sense of like, well, now I can't drop this ball. I can't take a break. Like if people are paying for a monthly membership, that means I'm on every month. So I'm doing it as a one-year experiment. And so far it's been pretty great. Um, So I have, you know, thousands of people on my free membership and hundreds of people who are paying subscribers. I just launched about a month or two ago. Um, And it gives me this opportunity to kind of play and be creative. And, you know, I launched an audio segment with my husband for the paid subscribers where we talked about, you know, what it's like to live with a minimalist. And um, I just did a capsule wardrobe workshop. So I'm thinking of it now as like, this is my laboratory. Like people are only paying $5 a month. So it does give me this kind of fun freedom to play around and see what are people interested in? What questions are people asking? Um, So I think that will inform my work. Um, the books kind of happened by accident. You know, I thought I would write one book and then I loved it so much and I had this new idea and then I had another idea. So 
I've now finally started owning that I am in fact an author <laughs> as well as an entrepreneur, like taking on that identity. Um, but yeah, I think the joy is just for me of, of thinking like every year I get to have a new plan. And um, I never personally like to plan more than a year ahead, um, which maybe is counterintuitive because as an organizer, people think like, oh, you must be very planful and intentional. And do you have a five-year or a 10-year? And I just have never, my mind doesn't work that way. Like I think it for me feels like, well, how could I possibly know what I want to do in five years? I don't know where I'll be living. I don't know what my kids will be up to. So the approach of taking it one year at a time and kind of within that one season at a time has felt very liberating for me. Um, and again, I really love practicing constraints. So on a year that I'm working on a book, like that's my main thing. Um, I just, you know, I'm wrapping up writing my third book. So now I'm in that kind of state of pondering what's next. Like, will I do a podcast? Will I do a TV show? Will I you know, get into speaking more. And I don't know. Um, so <laughs> I think what I've learned now after 15 years of being an entrepreneur is that um, I used to really panic when I didn't know. And now I'm trying to kind of lean into that feeling of um, curiosity and creativity. And like, you have to sometimes take a rest or take a break for the next big idea to come to you. Um, you can't just be endlessly prolific and productive um, as much as I wish I could. <laughs> what I wanted to ask you, um, and it sort of touches on what we were chatting about a little bit before we started recording about this idea of like trusting your intuition. When you get lots of different ideas, I mean, as you said, you know, you could do so many different things with your business and go in so many different directions. And you said, even with your mentoring clients, some of them, you know, they have lots of different ideas and one minute they want to do this and one minute they want to do that. What do you find helpful in terms of working out what's going to work well for you or like, what should you trust or how do you make a decision that feels good or feels in integrity mm. or, you know, it feels right for you? Yeah, I mean, I think um, for fear of sounding like California hippy dippy, I think it's really about energy for me. Um, like if I'm thinking of a big decision, whether it's like, do I want to move to another country or do I want to write another book? I think about that thing and then I feel in my body Am I energized? Is, is there like a charge? Is there a sense of hope and optimism? Is there a sense of dread or fear? Um, and that's the part that can be tricky because sometimes when you feel dread or fear, it's not because it's the wrong thing. It's just because it's a new thing. So I've learned to kind of discern in my body, like what's the brand of fear? Like there's, I have two different brands and one is like, I'm fearful and this isn't right. And then the other one is I'm fearful or terrified even, but oh, it's really juicy and exciting and energizing. And so for me, when I get that kind of, I don't know, like tingly excitement, it means like time to lean in. Um, and so that's, it's really not like I don't make a list of pros and cons or you know, sometimes I'll talk things out. I really trust, you know, my husband and a handful of my good girlfriend, my good girlfriends. 
Um, but typically it's just listening to my, the energy in my own body. And it, when I do that, it's, it seems very clear. Um, and so, you know, even now, like I've just wrapped up my third book and I kind of thought like, do I want to do a fourth book right now? And it didn't, I didn't get energized. So I thought, okay, well, at least I know, like, maybe I'll write a fourth book at some point, but right now that's not what's kind of, um, pulling me forward. So it's almost like a feeling of like being propelled towards something that feels physical, if that makes sense. Completely. I mean, I, I kind of similar with, with the book situation, um, with my, my four books that I've done, I very much felt that pull and I keep having my publisher every now and then. So about, about the <laughs> next book and I just, right. I'm just, I'm not feeling it. Like I'm just not mm-hmm. feeling it right now. I just feel that, I mean, I'd be curious about your experience, but for me, I mean, I've loved creating my books, but they really mm-hmm. kind of take over my life in many ways. Like they're, they're very all consuming and it means that yeah. other parts of my life really have to take a back seat. And I, I just feel that I need to consolidate some of those other areas before I take the step to kind of do the next book. Um, I do feel like I've got at least one more book in me, but I know that I just need to be in the right place to do it because they, they do take up so much. Well, certainly yeah. in my circumstances, I don't know, you know, if you have that experience as well, but I think many people can probably relate to that, that, you know, there are some things that we take on and we sort of realize if we're going to do this thing, you know, we're going to give it everything that we've got and it, it's going to be yeah. big. So we've got to have that bandwidth within ourselves. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, for my most recent book, I, I spent a year traveling the world and, you know, that's not sustainable as a mother. You know, my family was very forgiving and supportive, but I think I can't just leave and go to Europe whenever I want to. <laughs> and so I think there's there's those very real practical concerns, but I've also noticed in my career, and my husband has pointed this out, he said like, whenever your heart is in something, it always catches fire. And when you're doing something out of like a should or a feeling of pressure, it it doesn't, it doesn't catch fire. And I do think there is an energy, like when you feel fully aligned with something and excited and engaged, the world takes notice, like that energy is contagious. Um, even if it's like within the pages of a book, I do think people feel the passion behind it, or if you're like phoning it in. And so I think, um, you know, following that sense of energy and intuition is not just practical in terms of, you know, honoring your own desires, but I think it's also like, actually has been very, um, it has led to much more success. Like whenever I'm aligned with something, it's, it ends up being much more successful than when I'm kind of on the fence or ambivalent. I think people feel that. So can you give us a little bit of a taste of what's in the next book as well? I mean, I know that obviously, um, you know, your, your second book is, is about to get out into the world. I think when this episode goes live, it might even be out in the world, but it, very, very shortly. But can you give us a little yeah. glimpse into what book three is? Yes. Yeah. I'll give you a little sneak peek. So basically Minimalista deconstructed um, my process and toolkit for how to methodically declutter and organize your home. And um, this is really like the next, the third book that I'm working on now is essentially translating that to all areas of your life. 
So it's taking my process and what I've learned about organization and minimalism and volume and systems and habits and taking all of that and translating it into things like your relationships and your relationship with yourself and with you know your friends and your community, your finances, your health, your mental health and well-being and your physical health. Um, so it's really meaty, fun book because it merges you know, my background in being a certified life coach and being really interested in personal development with everything I've learned about the organizing world and minimalism. Um, so I'm, I'm very excited about that project and kind of leaning into, um, you know, the world of self-improvement and betterment, um, which I'm always, those are the books I read for fun. Um, I'm always really interested in, you know, how do you push and stretch and evolve as a human? So I'm kind of excited to get my personal spin on that out into the world. And so is that like a paperback style book as opposed to a hard coffee table type book, or is it still in the works? Such a good question. So basically what I pitched, um, which I don't know if it's really been done before, but um, maybe I'll be a disruptor, <laughs> is my publisher said, well, personal development books typically are like, you know, a small paperback or a hardcover book with no images. And I said, well, I can't do a book without images. It's like in my bones and in my blood that like anything I do needs to have an aesthetic and be beautiful. And I think people digest information differently when there's an aesthetic and a beauty and graphic design and all the rest. So it is a hybrid, um, which, you know, it's funny because a publisher will always ask for comps, you know, like, who's done this? What are the comps? And I couldn't find one. And so it's quite exciting because um, the vision that I have for it is that it will be a beautiful book that you want to put, um, you know, on your nightstand or on your coffee table or give, give to a girlfriend, but it also will be really meaty and instructive and, and a useful guide. So, um, you know, kind of marrying the form and the function in, in book form. Exciting. Um, before I ask you one last question, I also wanted to ask, because you, you've sort of mentioned that, you know, you've been with the Life Coach School and you've invested in yourself in terms of your own personal develop, in terms of your own education, and you offer mentoring. How important do you think it is for people to invest in themselves, to grow and to learn? I mean, there's so much out there on YouTube and all of the things, mm. you know, what value do you see in that? Yeah. I mean, it's so funny because I was so resistant to paying for anything when I, <laughs> when I established my business, I was just kind of terrified and, and, and it was that sense of like, well, I'll spend money when I make money. But what I found is that every time I personally have invested in coaching or strategy or mentorship or working with a photographer, like literally anything for my business, the payoff and the reward has been kind of infinite. And so I always am working with some sort of coach or mentor or strategist, no matter how well my business is doing. Um, that's just something that I've realized is kind of imperative. Um, and I think, I mean, I guess it's, it's in my DNA that I'm just a person who always wants to be kind of seeking and improving and, and learning. Um, but what I notice, you know, especially for the people that have worked with me is they say, you know, when I threw, when I, when I decided to make this investment and I decided to 
commit in doing something for myself and for my business, I started shifting how I think about my business. Like it's no longer a hobby. Now I'm an entrepreneur. Now I'm somebody who has a business coach. And that was the same for me is that there was kind of a moment where, you know, I, I was this sort of accidental entrepreneur. And I, I, for the first few years, I think, didn't take it super seriously as like a career with a capital C. It was like this little side hustle. And I think when I decided to make the choice, I'm going to take that leap and I'm going to invest in help and support. Um, because of the mindset shift, my business started growing and the way that I showed up changed and the way that I talked about my business shifted. So I would say, I mean, just based on my experience, I have never once invested in my business and had it not pay off in some way, in some form. So I'm, you know, I'm all in on, and early on when I didn't have the budget to like pay, you know, big fancy coaches, I did trades, you know, as a creative, I think you always have the skill set that is unique. And so I did trades with business coaches, with marketing people, with branding specialists. I had somebody make my logo and I organized her garage, you know, so I think there are lots of ways of being scrappy and creative um, and finding ways of getting the support that you need, even if you don't yet have the budget to do so. Yeah, so good. All right. I hope this one doesn't throw you. <laughs> Normally at the end of um, the podcast, I, I have like a series of 10 questions that I ask, but we would have done that last time. But I did want to ask one that's a bit reflective of you, which is what is one of the biggest lessons you've learned this past year? It could be professionally, personally, a um, bit of both. You can share them more than one if more than one comes to mind. But I just think, um, you know, it's probably been a, at least a year or so um, since we last spoke. And so I thought yeah. it would be interesting, you know, like what are some of the things that you have learned more recently? Yeah, I mean, I think um, we touched briefly on this. I think the thing that stands out to me is, you know, and, and I touched on this briefly before we started recording with you, but the idea of trusting your little ideas, even if they seem very silly. Um, the, the reason that this book is now out in the world, this book, Organized Living, that features 25 people around the globe, is because I had this silly little daydream on a walk, um, you know, about a year ago, where I just thought, God, you know, I have access to all of these homes of professional organizers. And it's so interesting to see how they live and they all have these unique styles and perspectives. And wouldn't it be cool? Like, wouldn't it be amazing if I could make a book showcasing all of their homes and their tips and their stories? And by the time I was home, my brain had already told me that it was a silly idea and that it was unrealistic and that no one was going to go for it and it wouldn't be funded and all of that chatter. And thankfully, there was this little tiny voice that just was like, well, maybe just, maybe just see. And so I, um, you know, I had a literary agent because I already was a published author. So I called her and I just said, you know, I have this idea on this walk and I don't know if it's anything. And she just instantly said like, yes, we have to do this. Like write up a proposal, let's get it going. And you know, as a result, I think this book was really like one of the most momentous um, 
projects of my entire life. You know, I merged everything I love, you know, travel and photography and styling and writing and collaboration. And I just think often like, had I listened to that voice that was really loud saying that it was a really silly idea and it was unrealistic, like I never would have had this project happen. I never would have met these 25 people or had this book come that's hopefully going to help thousands of people around the world. And so I think the big lesson is to trust the voice and to explore it at least, to give it a chance, even if your brain is saying, this is silly, this will never work. The big takeaway, I guess, of the year is that brains are wired to keep you safe and that is their primary function. And so your brain is like an innocent, like, you know, an innocent helper trying to keep you safe and keep you in the cave and keep you cozy. But really, like, we're not in the caveman era where we're like fighting for our lives. Most of us, you know, can stand to take a little risk, especially a creative risk. And so I think now when I have an idea and my brain instantly says like, oh, this is crazy, this is stupid, this is silly, I now have learned like, well, just take a beat and think about it. And maybe, maybe what if? Um, so that's kind of what I would want to leave people with is to take that voice maybe a little more seriously instead of dismissing it right away. Okay. So good. A good note to end on. And um, just finally, um, if, you know, if anyone's curious about perhaps joining your retreat, I know obviously you probably don't have dates for next year, but roughly what time of year oh, yeah. um, would that be? And what are some other ways that people can connect with you? Oh, so fun. Yeah. So the, we do have retreat dates um, and it will be April 30th through May 3rd, um, which is, it's going to be in New Mexico. Um, and it's a, beautiful like retreat like center with a swimming pool and a yoga yurt and lots of creative inspiring women to be around so um i would say the easiest way to just be in touch and and kind of get notices on all the things is to just sign up for my newsletter um which you can do on my website or you can do directly through substack um totally free and that's where i announce new books new workshops events um ways to work with me so um, really, shiragill.com is kind of my hub for all things. So if you go there, you'll see current offerings and you'll be able to sign up um, to join me for whatever I happen to be doing next. And it, it is. I mean, I love getting your your newsletter. I think that I mentioned this last time, but um, you always like have such practical, helpful ideas. And um, yeah, it's it's always great and really valuable. So um, oh, I really thanks. encourage that means a lot to... coming from you. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I know that if I ever click on it, that there's going to be something in there that's worthwhile reading and it just sort of gives oh. me that little pep for my day. So definitely recommend people go and sign up for that. Um, thank you so much, Shira. I'm so glad that we have been able to chat again and have you on the podcast. And I'm sure that, um, you know, people are going to take a lot of um, value out of this and, of course, uh, encourage everyone to go and check out your new book. So thank you. Thank you so much. This was such a treat. All of the links and info for this episode are at nataliewalton.com forward slash podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so that you can get a direct download of the latest episode. And I really appreciate when you take a minute to rate and review, as well as share the love with someone you know who might benefit from this episode or on social media. 
If you'd like to access a range of free resources, come visit my website, nataliewalton.com. Thank you to Jaeger Media for producing this podcast. And I would also like to acknowledge the people of the Bundjalung Nation where it was recorded and pay my respects to elders past, present and emerging. I look forward to connecting again soon. I'm Natalie Walton and you've been listening to Imprint. Imprint.